Community Life Church. My name is Addie Middleton and I'm the Caris Pastor here and we are so grateful that you have joined us this morning. Whether you're here in the family room or joining us online, we've been praying for you and expecting you. And I would ask at this time if you would stand up as we join our hearts together and pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for being in this space with us today. We just uh, welcome your spirit and we um, pray over Pastor Scott as he delivers the message and the word that you have for us today. And Father God, we take this moment also to pray for Israel and the conflict that's happening over there, Father God, for the innocent lives and just that your peace would be upon them. We know that you are sovereign in all of these things you have in your control, Father. And we just thank you for this opportunity to praise you and worship you in this time as, as we join our hearts together. And then it's in your son's mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Addie. Good morning, everyone. So glad that you are here. Let's just worship together this morning. Come on, it's going to be a great day today.
lift his name high this morning because he is worthy. song to share with you guys today. Uh, The name of it is uh, Sing the Name. It's all about singing the name of Jesus over each and every one of our circumstances, no matter how uh, bleak it might be or how hopeful that that circumstance might be, that singing the name of Jesus over that can always bear fruit. Amen. Um, I first heard this song last weekend, actually, um, at a, a concert in Pensacola, Sarah and I went to. And um, there was something that the, uh, the singer of the song shared that changed my perspective on a, on a verse that I've heard time and time and time again in church and uh, felt like I, pretty, I understood pretty well. But, um, but it was the verse in Philippians chapter 2 when Paul says that, that you know, God bestowed upon Jesus the name above every other name and that the, at the name of Jesus every tongue or every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. And, um, you know, I always thought of that verse as being sort of this, this future prophecy that, that one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And while I still believe that to be 100% true, the thing that he said that really stuck with me was that we don't have to wait for one day. We can bow our knee and, and confess with our tongue today that Jesus is Lord. And we can speak and sing his name over our lives today. So uh, with that hope, I want to uh, encourage you to sing this along with us as we lift his name high. There is a name with the power to save from age to age. It will never change When troubles come And I can't see the way I will sing the name of Jesus I'll sing the name I'll sing the name 
going to keep on singing as long as we're breathing this morning. Let's just continue to press in and worship Him this morning. 
honor you with our praise today. Lost in his 
we thank you for the gift of salvation this morning, for the gift of the blood that Jesus Christ came and shed for us so that we can be in relationship with you. Jesus, that you came as a mediator standing in the gap, and now we can come to you. We can pray directly to you. And so we have assurance in the name of Jesus, through the name of Jesus this morning. You are our security. You are our hope. We don't have to strive. We don't have to run around and try to prove anything. God, you love us more than you could ever love us today. And not any different from yesterday or tomorrow. You love us the same. And all of us are here are equal. You love us all equally today. So we thank you so much just for uh, the gift of salvation. And I just pray for those listening online or maybe those here in the room today that are not quite sure. Maybe they can't say that they have that assurance in their faith this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would open up their heart and let them see Jesus. God, you, you, you came to help us through our challenges, not to take them away, but God, to help us through them. And so we just put our faith and our hope and our trust in you right now as we continue this service. Bless the message. Bless Pastor Scott as he delivers the word, um, Lord, and open up our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church say amen. Amen. Thank you so much for singing with us and worshiping. Now it's time where you have to turn around and do the CLC welcome and greeting. This is very important. Make someone feel special today. Love on them a little bit. And if you're watching online, we'll be right back. Good morning. My name is Clint. I'm the associate uh, pastor here at Community Life. We're excited that you're here, and I have the incredible honor uh, to welcome Matt Hall, who is the uh, new youth director here at Community Life. I'm going to introduce him in just a minute. But I got to know uh, you uh, seven, eight, nine years ago and, uh, through a meltdown youth retreat uh, that you and I were both a part of. Mm -hmm. uh, 1,200 students, a whole weekend, and, uh, and we survived, right? It was, it was a blast. Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so if that terrifies you, maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't, but, uh, but we survived. Matt comes to us uh, after 17 years of experience in youth ministry. Uh, serving in a, a church uh, nearby, and we are just so, so incredibly thankful, like truly, that, that you would come, that you would bring your family and be a part of the ministries uh, here at Community Life. So you've been here for about two weeks now. Uh, what have you seen? What's most excited you in that time? Yeah, I was, I was, I found out it was actually three weeks. The time Already? is flying by. Oh, my this goodness. the third yeah. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I am blown away by how uh, this church connects people to Jesus. I am, I am blown away by the way the word community is in the title of the church, and it's so core to the church. It's been amazing getting here early and, and staying late a few times and seeing that there is people always here. It's 8 o'clock at night. There's still, like, basketball and pickleball, and, I mean, all the time. So, so community life, you, you really mean it. When, when you're a part of this church, you're a part of the community. And that is a beautiful thing, and I would urge you not to take that for granted. It is a really amazing thing. And I've seen it, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it, to bring uh, my family here. My, my wife, Shannon, and my daughter, Justice, they're sitting over here on the side. They're waving. So there they are. They're, they're awesome. And you just got waves back. That's great. That's great. So in this, um, this ministry, it is so vital. It's so important. If you've had uh, teenagers in your home before, I mean, like they've lived like, like they came in on their own without your permission. But like if you have had children who have been teens, 
uh, in your family before, perhaps you're still in that season of life, you know it is so incredibly uh, important for them to surround themselves with the community, for them to be poured into, for them to be led uh, towards Christ. Um, what are your hopes and dreams in, in that sort of idea? What are your hopes and dreams for students, for families uh, in this season? Absolutely. One of the, the vision I've always had for, for kids and for students in, in ministry is, you know how hard it is to walk into church for your first time? It's so difficult. So walking in through that door is, is quite daunting. What we want to do is create an environment where kids feel like it's okay to be a guest. Get through the door, be a guest, and then they become friends, and then they become family. The vision is that, that we create a student ministry, a youth ministry that is a, a family, that, that students learn to own their faith. The, the things that they've taught, they've been learned, they've learned from adults. We love that. But we want to give students a place where they can work out their faith on their own to own it. So they can not be part of the, the 66% of kids who go to college or the next step and, and leave, leave church. We don't want that to happen. We want them to be successful disciples. So in that, in that mindset, what's your, what's your philosophy of ministry? Like, how do, you, how do you do that? How do you make that happen? Absolutely. The, the vision also is for the ministry to be owned by the students, for them to, again, own their faith. And I was, I was saying at previous services, Clint and I, we have incredible, incredible social media presences. We're, we're on it all the time. It's, I'm just kidding. That's not true. That's we, yeah, it's actually, not true yeah, at yeah. all. But yeah. what the best thing for students is that for their proud of it, their Instagram is going to get way more follows than ours is. They have the ability to be in the school. They are the influencers. They are the influencers. If we can show them that there's a better way with Jesus and they all of a sudden own the space and they start bringing their friends, watch out. Watch out. Gulfreeze is ready. Navarre is ready to have students that are on fire and, and bringing them home to Jesus. So, that's right. Yeah, yeah, creating missionaries to, to go to their own schools. That's Amen. awesome. That's the so if, uh, if there's parents, if there's students who want to connect with you, learn more about the ministry, how do they do that? Absolutely. I mean, we're at youth during the uh, both of the later services. Uh, also, I have an email, and uh, it is matt at clc.life. I argue that it's the best email on staff. I, I think it's pretty good. Matt what? at. One more time. Matt at clc.life. There it is. Matt at yeah, don't be mad at me, but Matt at clc.life. You can do that. And also, if you are a student in this room, 6th through 12th grade, or you are a parent or guardian of that age group, we have an event for you tonight. It is the meet and greet. And yes, that word is spelled correctly, M-E-A-T, meet and greet. We're going to gather together right in this room tonight, and we are going to get to know families and let them get to know me. And we're going to launch the plans for the next three, four months, and we're going to talk about retreats. We're going to talk about future plans, the goals, the visions of our ministry. So if you're a parent or a student, we need you here tonight. We'd love for you to be here. It's 6 to 7.30. Come eat some, some meat. There's going to be burgers and hot dogs and some pulled pork. I didn't, I, I'm going to plant that seed. It's going to be delicious. So uh, if you don't have a student in our ministry, I know you're probably salivating now, but we would love to meet you another time. But uh, tonight is for parents and students. Awesome, awesome. We all, um, I'm, I'm so excited to do ministry alongside of you. Been, uh, been so impressed. Like, not only is he an incredible, incredibly uh, successful youth uh, minister, but, but also just like an awesome guy. Like, incredible dad, incredible husband. Um, so, so thank you for jumping in this, this kind of crazy and, uh, and jumping in. Thank you all, too. Y'all are awesome. We love y'all big time. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, we're so, uh, so grateful. God, so thankful uh, for the students who you place in our care. God, we know that they are not only the church of tomorrow. They are the church of the right now. 
And so, uh, God, we pray that you would um, put a special barrier of protection around them, help guide them, lead them, because we know that the ministry uh, that they have uh, is impactful. It's impactful in this world and in this generation uh, and for generations to come. So we pray uh, for Matt, pray for his family. God, we're so excited and so gracious that, uh, that you would bring him, you'd bring them uh, to this, this church, to this place, and, uh, and be able to, uh, to move lives, to, um, to encourage, to connect. God, we're thankful. Thank you for those volunteers who have been here through thick and thin, who have made those relationships and connected uh, so many students. Uh, we thank you for them and for the ones to come as well. God, we pray for this community, and we're just so grateful uh, for the ministry that, uh, that Matt's been able to, to be a part of over 17 years uh, in a community nearby. We're grateful for, uh, for those lessons, for those students, for those families, and the amazing impact um, that, that that ministry has been able to have uh, in that community as well. So, uh, so we love you, and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Ben. Y'all should probably clap for Matt. He's pretty awesome. <laughs> Uh, and, and I, and I would, and I, not just because I said that, um, you know how hard it is to hire a youth director? It's the hardest thing on the planet, and we got the best. I'm telling you, Matt is incredible. What he's bringing to this church, uh, not, not only just his, his knowledge, but really the culture, how he fits who we are, I am stoked. Like, uh, it's just one of those areas when you have to hire positions that work in and around children and lead children, man, you want to make sure that everything is right. And Matt's heart, Matt and Shannon, their family is just so incredible. You're still here. Matt and Shannon are just so incredible. And man, I'm so looking forward to, this is forever family. So glad you're here, whatever this looks like. Love you guys. So thank you for being a part of this team. Well, good morning. I, am a, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. I don't know that it's morning. We got four more minutes of morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online. Um, it's, there's a lot of places you could be on a Sunday morning, and, and we are honored that you're here with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And so our hope is that you will discover that source of life, hold on to it, and then share it with every person that you encounter. And we would consider it the honor of our life and part of our mission if we could stand alongside you um, as you go through that. So if there's anything we can do, um, please let us know. So a couple quick announcements, and then uh, we're going to jump into a, a new series today. So um, two, two that have to do with children's ministry. So next week, children's ministry will be hosting what they're calling the Mega PJ Party. So when you show up, you will see children and adults wearing PJs. Do not be alarmed. Um, that was all part of the plan. So they'll be here. They're going to have a fun day next week. But then also, um, you heard me last week announce that we were, having we were going to be giving out third grade Bibles this Wednesday night. So if you have a third grader, you've not registered, make sure that you go ahead and do that. But this is really cool. The next two following Wednesday nights, Kristen is, is a rock star. She is not just one of those people that fall into this camp where we find your third grader and we hand them a Bible and we say, Good luck, may the force be with you, right? Like whatever that looks like and just go and live your best life. No, 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 no. Kristen is going to take them and over the next two weeks on Wednesday night, she is going to teach them how to use that Bible, how to understand it, how to grow in it. So here's your warning. Start to study, start to read and prepare because one thing I know about your children is they're brilliant and they will ask you questions and when, you, when they ask you a question and you call me like, I don't know how to answer this, I'm going to say, well, did you look first? Because that's what my dad used to always say to me. Go back in, dive into your scripture, learn, understand, and we're all going to grow in this together. So excited about Kristen doing that. You can register for those two classes coming up. 
We have our First Steps gathering, which is on Thursday of this week. If you've been attending the church for a little while and you're interested in becoming a part of Community Life, come on. That's a dinner for you on Thursday night. Make sure you register for it. You can do that out of the front desk or on the QR code in front of you. This gives us a chance just to sit down and get to know you. It's so hard on a Sunday morning to spend the time necessary to get to know folks, but, but that lets us share our story with you, get to hear your story and really connect. And then last but not least, as we're moving towards the holiday season, we're preparing, we're preparing for Thanksgiving. And one of the things that we do every year is we bless families by providing for them a Thanksgiving meal. So if this time of year you're struggling, we'd love to be able to do that for you, but we've got to know who you are. So you can register either by stopping out front or on that, um, using that QR code. And you can either register yourself or register a family that you know. And we're discreet with that information. We'll reach out to you and, and we just want to bless you so that you can focus on Thanksgiving and be there with your family. And then those who want to be a part of bringing in some food for that, uh, the sheets are out in the lobby. You can grab those, take those to the store with you and bring some of that resource back. And um, we'll be sure to give those out just before Thanksgiving. Okay. So today we start a new series, and it has a real, uh, a real creative name. I love when they let me name things, because you know how I name them? I name them exactly what they are. So today we're studying Galatians. That's the name of this series. And guess what we're going to be studying in this series called Galatians? Galatians, Galatians that's right. So you said, usually they give me a flowery name, and I don't remember the name of it. But we're in this series where we're going to be studying Paul's letter to the Galatians, and I am super excited about it. One of the things that you need to know about this letter is that it has some of the most key foundational points of our faith contained inside of it. So this sermon or this series, three parts, uh, we're going to study today chapters one and two, next week chapters three and four, and the week after that five and six. This series may not feel like some of those that um, you get usually excited about where, where you're like, man, Scott was on fire and, and that kind of message. This series, I hope to engage your brain a little bit. And then by engaging your brain, when you walk out, you're not like, yeah, you're more like, huh, huh. Like you get down that road, whatever that was right there. And you start to take what you're learning and you connect it to your heart. Because one of the things that I think churches do well, or at least I hope churches do well, is we talk about the, the message of salvation well. We connect people to Jesus. But then oftentimes, just like with the Bible example, we say, okay, you're saved, good luck, go have at it. And the way that we teach, we never get back into the theology of teaching you what you believe or what happened when you believed. And this is what Paul teaches us in this letter. So hopefully we'll be able to take and add to our understanding and really develop our faith a little bit so that if somebody says, what does it mean to be saved? Or, or how does that process, how does that unfold? You're going to have some answers today when you walk out of this building that you'll be able to hold on to. Now, if you're a, a new person to the faith, or maybe you just showed up today because you heard that we have snacks and coffee, um, don't be alarmed. What you're going to learn is about one of the Bible, one of the letters that are contained inside of the Bible. You're going to get the context that goes along with it, and you're going to get a message that sets the foundation that believers should, should hold on to. So if you're not a believer, of course, I would pray that you would become a believer, but um, maybe today's message will give you some insight as to how that unfolds. So let's start with the setup. So we believe that the uh, letter to the Galatians was written by Paul, and here's why we believe that, because he signed it. <sighs> Thanks, Paul. Appreciate you signing this one so that we know who it is. But that doesn't always mean that that person wrote it. Sometimes it's, it's their community that writes it, but, but there's no reason for us to believe that Paul didn't write this. He does sign it. 
And so it's attributed to Paul as, as one of his letters. It's believed that it was written 15 to 20 years, maybe 25 years at the extent, um, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So in the late 40s and 50s. And it's written to the churches of Galatia. So it's not a church. You typically are like, show me some pictures of this place. It's a region. It's a whole region of churches that would be there. And so I want to go ahead and show you the map um, because these churches that he's writing this letter to are churches that he started and now he's sending a letter to them to help them. So this is over here, the Mediterranean Sea. Here is Israel down here in the bottom kind of center of this map that we have. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here is the Dead Sea. Um, for conversation later, as we read into chapter one, this is Damascus, where that number one is. Don't forget where that is. Here's Antioch, when he talks about a disagreement that he has with Paul that takes, there, takes place there in Antioch. But this region up here is Galatia. It's a whole area that Paul ministers to, starts tons of churches. And so you have to know that when he writes this letter to the Galatians, it's not just one church, although it is. He expects that they'll copy it and they'll spread it, and they'll use it to go across this whole region. Now, the arrows that you see on this map chronicle Paul's very first missionary journey. One of the sermon series I'm excited about in 2024 is we're going to take eight or nine weeks, and you're going to learn and follow along in the book of Acts every single one of Paul's journey. So you're going to study this journey in, in full detail. But you can see how he traveled across, and he goes up into this area. So this letter that he writes, it makes sense would be addressed to this area because these are some of those um, first churches that he started and he's writing to kind of correct some of the things that are going on. Now, many people believe that this letter to the Galatians is either Paul's first letter that he's ever written or it's one of the first that he's written. Now, why would I say that? Um, we say that because Paul's theology, as you go on in time, it, it becomes refined or it's more refined. And that makes sense if you think about it. If I was here on stage and I made a statement and then church ended and I came down off the stage and you came up and you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the next time I get up, I might clarify that statement and the next time clarify, clarify, clarify. And so every time Paul wrote letters, it seemed like his theology continued to grow and expand and clarify and he would add extra pieces to it so that we could more fully understand our faith. So these first letters um, were those foundational keys that we can learn about what it means to be a believer. So um, one of the questions that I love to ask is, is who makes up these congregations? So who is Paul writing to? And in order to understand this, you have to understand kind of his strategy. So Paul was one of the first uh, to go out and, and start to, to tell the world about Jesus. And the way that he would do this, you think business strategy, he had a strategy to spreading the gospel. He would go into a city, and if that city had a synagogue... He would sit down in that synagogue and he would start preaching and teaching to the people that were there. And so really the first people that he would speak to were other Jews. And his hope was that as he shared the gospel message with them, that in their Jewish faith, they would come to understand Jesus as the fulfillment of their faith, that they would believe in Jesus. And so he would start inside of the synagogues. But eventually and ultimately in all of these cities, those that worked inside of the synagogues would throw him out because they just weren't comfortable with, with how he was sharing the gospel and how it was spreading. And they just, they, got, they would get nervous and they would kick him out. But that's okay. Paul would take those who had changed their hearts and believed in Christ and he would continue to grow inside of the city through home churches. And eventually the message that he started by sharing with the Jews would spread into the Gentile world. Now, if you don't know what that means, if you're not Jewish, 
you're Gentile. And so what they found is that this message of Christ would also start to make its way into the Gentile world, and Gentiles were believing in Jesus as well. So if we're going to ask who this letter was written to, it was written to believers in Jesus. Some were Jewish that came to believe in Jesus, and some were Gentiles that came to believe in Jesus. And so here's, here's the thing that um, you guys always like to have a marker as to, as to what makes this book unique, or this letter unique. The thing that I think stands out the most about Galatians is that when Paul writes this, he's frustrated, he's angry, and he's mad about something that has taken place inside these communities. And, and so here's what it is. To him, he goes and he starts these churches, and then he would move on to another church, and then someone would inevitably come in and sneak in behind him and start changing the theology that he had spent so much time and energy teaching to these churches. And so here he is, he's really, really frustrated about it. Now, the theology, and I'm going, to give you a, I'm going to give you this theology on the front part of the message, because we're not going to get it till the end of chapter two. So it's like a long time before you hear the theology. So I'm going to give it to you up front, so you're aware of what we're battling through. The theology that Paul taught was um, that, that the message was salvation by faith in Christ alone, or you can be justified by faith in Christ, Period. Nothing else was required but your faith and your belief in Jesus. That was the message that he taught. Well, here's what would happen. Paul would go into a community. He would talk about Jesus and faith in Jesus and how that would bring about new life. And then he would go on to another community. Then these well-meaning Jewish believers in Jesus would come in behind him. And they would do this. They would say, oh, it's great the work that Paul did. But we consider that to be step one. And since Paul connected you to Jesus, that's great, but let us tell you about the rest of this understanding of being justified. Now, it's not just about belief in Jesus, it's about now converting to Judaism and living into the law and celebrating all the festivals and doing all of the different things. And Paul gets furious about this because that's not what his message was all about. His message is about the fact that the law has no power to save you, but rather Christ alone. And so he establishes this truth. So their message, their theology was salvation by faith in Jesus plus the law. They would also add the law at the end. Now, before I read the very first part of Galatians, let me give you an example of, of how this would hit the ground here in this church. So imagine if I, I got up here on stage and said, hey guys, for the next six months, uh, I'm moving to Zimbabwe and I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna work with, uh, with Dr. Reverend Darby and we're gonna continue to grow the church and we're gonna do all kinds of awesome work there and we're leaving the church in the hands of Clint and, and some of our leaders and so just continue to grow and do all of the awesome things and, and I would leave and be gone for six months. Well, then imagine a few months later, maybe a very well-known person in our community that was Jewish, that was Messianic, that also believed in Jesus but would have to have some sort of connection and to your heart, would get up on the stage and say, well, guys, you know, Scott's so awesome, and he's done such a great job of connecting you to Jesus. But let me tell you about the rest of the message. For, in order for you to be justified, now we need you all to convert to Judaism. So guys, we need to go ahead and verify that you have all been circumcised. So go ahead and form a line right here. We're going to verify, and we're just going to go ahead and get that done by the end of the week. Okay, you guys all ready for that? That's kind of the craziness of this message that's delivered here, right? Like that's their message of justification. Or hey, we're going to go ahead and celebrate all the festivals. Make sure that you do that. And by the way, this is Sunday. The Sabbath is on Saturday. So thank you for being here today. But next week, we're going to move to a... It would make it all about the law, all about the rules. And here's the one where I know you guys just wouldn't take it anymore. By the way, I need you to get rid of your bacon. 
You guys be like, that's not Jesus. You're not getting my bacon, right? Like, that's how I know that you guys have pushed back. That's kind of what's happened in these communities, that they made the message more than Christ, that they added the justification of the law in there. And for Paul, there's no justification in the law. So we're going to jump in. We're going to start reading. And um, it's interesting. I, it, every service, it's been 10 after where I've gotten to this part. I don't know how that works out with all of the moving parts, but that tells me I don't have enough time to finish. So you guys ready to go fast? Okay, I'm excited. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. And I just want you to hear the seriousness of Paul's introduction. If you've read Paul's letters, typically he's kind, he's heartwarming, and it would be a warm introduction, and I'm so glad to see you. But here's what he says. He says, Paul, an apostle, so he signs it, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities. So I didn't come here on my own volition. Nobody sent me. God sent me to you. So you can already kind of hear that he's serious about this letter. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, theology, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, so I'm writing this to this region, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He's not even, it's not even like a, a normal how are you doing greeting. It's who gave himself for our sins to set us free from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's very, very serious in this welcome. It tells you that there's a frustration, a level about what he's about to write where he's not messing around. In fact, when you get to verse six, he comes out of the gate and he says, I am astonished or I cannot believe you guys or what are you thinking? I, I just, this blows me away. So Jesus sent me to talk to you. you guys remember that son of God who died for you and I cannot believe what y'all are doing. That's how he starts this letter off. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I, I spent all this time preaching and teaching and helping and trying to bring you into this understanding of faith in and, and Jesus, and now you're turning to something else. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel. I love when I find sarcasm in Scripture because it gives me hope. Amen? And when I see sarcasm, I'm like, that's awesome. So he says, you're turning to another gospel, not that there's even another gospel. See the level of frustration that he has in this? But there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now that, that word pervert is, is so interesting used here in text. Um, you know, the message of John the Baptist was to repent. But when you take and you stand the message of repentance and this word um, pervert together, there are two opposite words. To repent means to turn from something that is evil and turn around and face and move towards something that is righteous. To pervert means to take something that is good and either turn it into something that's bad or turn away from it and to do something that is bad. And so what he's saying about these people is they're coming in here to confuse you and what they're offering you is not right. It's wrong. It is a deviation and a perversion of the message that I taught to you. And then verse eight, I like to read this because we're, we're so often enamored by um, epiphanies or spiritual signs. And, and we like to talk about those things, but, but listen to what Paul says. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. Is there any guessing about that? He doesn't pull any punches, does he? He says, even if an angel was to open up heaven and say to you, hey, I got a different gospel that you can follow. Paul says, no, no, no. 
I'm not dealing with this. Let that one be accursed. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There's one Jesus and one understanding of grace. And so that's, that's what he's holding to. Now, um, as you move into verses 11 all the way down through the rest of chapter one, you have to understand that Paul is going to establish for us this theology of a justification through faith in Christ. And he wants you to know that he didn't just make this up. He wasn't just sitting around one day and boom, he just had an idea and he went, hey, I think this makes sense. Let's just do this. So he has to build that case and he does it by talking to you about how he received the message, by talking to you about his previous life and how God changed him, and then giving you the history of how he shared this revelation and connected it to the hearts of the other disciples. He's not just out there flying around on his own. They agreed to this and they understand this theology to be true. So verses 11 and 12, he says, for I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. So he starts off by saying, this revelation, this understanding, I didn't come up with it on my own. No one else gave it to me. Jesus himself gave it to me. And you may say, Scott, what's that all about? If, if you want some interesting reading when you get home, go in, in, in the, the book of Acts, chapter 9, and you can read about Paul's conversion story. And what he's relating to is the fact that after Jesus was already dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended to the Father, Paul is persecuting the early church, and Jesus shows up right in the middle of one of these trips and knocks him off his horse and blinds him and says to him, why are you persecuting my church? And he brings this, this awareness of Jesus into the life of Paul, and Paul shifts 100%. That's what he's talking about, that Jesus himself came and visited me. Now, verse 13 through, through 14, now he's going to tell you about his previous life. So he's, he's going to combat those who would try to make you live into the law. He wants you to know that he was a chief among those who would want you to live in the law, but his life has shifted. He says, you've heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God, or I was violently persecuting believers in Jesus, and I was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So he says, if you're going to talk about people that want you to understand the law, that used to be me, except I wasn't just an average person. I was above average. I studied the law. I know the law. I worked hard at it. In fact, I did everything I could to kill and to get rid of Christians because I didn't believe in that. But then through the rest of chapter one, he talks about what happened. And he says, but then God revealed to me his son, Jesus, and gave me this revelation to take to the Gentile world. And then he builds the case. He says, after I had received this revelation, I didn't just go out and start preaching. He says, for three years, I went into Damascus and Arabia. So I showed you where Damascus was. I went into Damascus and Arabia. Now here's what's interesting. He doesn't tell you what he does for three years in Damascus and Arabia. Do you know what happens to biblical scholars if they don't know what happens in a period of time? They make stuff up, man. They got to make stuff up. They can't stand not knowing. And so they theorize. And this kind of makes sense. For three years after he receives Jesus or after he receives this revelation, he goes into Damascus. And what biblical scholars believe that he does is that he starts working through the theology. He doesn't start preaching. He doesn't start teaching. He just starts working through the theology. And, and during that time, 
is when they believe that he, he had to take what he understood in Judaism, the revelation of Jesus, and mash those th- two things together according to Scripture. He's one of the brilliant minds of the faith. And so he tells you that for three years I went and did that. But then after that, he says, I go up to Jerusalem to meet with Cephas and James. And Cephas is another name for Peter. I go up to meet them. Now, Paul, after three years, probably wants to start telling people about this faith. He's not going to go do it on his own without without approval from those that were in Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem and he meets with Peter and he meets with James. And, um, and then he goes and there's this period of 14 years where he goes and he ministers in Cilicia and um, in, in, uh, um, in Cilicia and Syria. So for 14 years, he goes and he ministers in this area. And he says he shares the gospel and people heard the story of him before, but, but God was God was glorified in the work that he was doing there. When you get into chapter two, and I feel like I've lost y'all, but you get into chapter two, this is where he starts to bring it around. So right before chapter two, you have to imagine, so 14 years has gone by. This is right before Paul starts going on his missionary journeys. And what it says in the beginning of chapter two is he wanted to make sure that the revelation he had, that the theology that he built was right because he didn't want to go and do all of this work in vain. And so after 14 years, he goes back to Jerusalem and he goes and he meets with three people, Peter, James, the brother of Jesus, and John. And he shares this theology with them, this, this uh, justification by faith in Christ. And this chapter tells us that after he shares that with them, they all agree. And they're like, that's wonderful. We believe the same way. And so they said, so here's the deal. You go and you minister to the Gentile world and we're going to stay and we're going to mention and we're going to minister to the to the Jewish world. And they said, but we just ask you to do one thing, that you remember us here in Jerusalem that as you're traveling the world, we're struggling, we're persecuted. Remember to bring offerings so that we can be okay and so that we can make it. The church was so persecuted during that time, which Paul was very happy to do. So every time he ends a missionary journey, he would go back to Jerusalem, he would bring an offering back to them to help bless them. And so they establish this truth about this understanding of Faith in Jesus as being the justification. Now, I'm going to add one more part to the story, and then we're going to jump into the theology. Verses 11 through 14. Um, There is this argument that breaks out between Paul and Peter. So Peter goes up to Damascus. Peter, who believes that, that we are justified by faith in Jesus, goes to Damascus, and while he's there, he treats the Gentile believers as less than the Jewish believers. And when Paul hears about it, he is angry and he's mad. And it says he goes and he deals with him face to face. He's so frustrated about this and he's so mad because he, he's, what he's basically saying is that you have allowed that theology to, to, to change inside of your life and you're not even belie- living into what it is that you believe. And so you've got to change and get back, get your heart back to where it needs to be. What's up, buddy? You're getting nervous. I don't know if somebody's approaching the stage. Um, you've got to get your heart back to where it needs to be. And what we're going to read in verses 15 all the way down through the rest of chapter 2 is what they believe he spoke to Peter as being the foundation of the theology. So if you fell asleep, wake up here because this is the theological part. You guys ready? Here we go. So verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So here's, here's Paul writing to those Jewish believers in Jesus, and he's trying to correct them on their theology. He says, verse 16, He says the same thing three times. See if you can pick it up. He says, yet we know 
that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. So basically, the same thing that he says three times is, number one, we are not justified by the law, we are justified by what? Faith in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus. And so it's not justification by the law, it's justified by faith in Jesus. And so he establishes that by mentioning it three times. In fact, at the very end of chapter, or verse 16, he says, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. So if we're just going to talk about the law, the law doesn't have the power to tell us what we've done what? Right. It only has the power to tell us what we've done wrong. It's if you break the law. And so there's this understanding that no one can be justified by the works of the law because if you break the law, you break the law. And so there's no way that the law can ever justify you. Now, verses 17 and 18, I'm going to go ahead and skip it. You might be like, oh, that's sacrilegious. You can't leave verses out. Paul does something interesting here. He enters in a whole new thought. So if his theology is, is you are justified by faith in Jesus, period, nothing else, then the immediate theology is, well, what happens if you go out and you sin? Does that mean that Jesus is now, or is now a subject to sin? And he says, absolutely not. And he starts to speak about that in, in, in through 17 and 18. And so that's a, that's a theme that's going to run on through the rest of his ministry that he's going to clarify as he writes scripture going further. But I want to continue on in verse 19 as he fleshes this thought out. So in verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can we all agree that's a lot of words? And so this is Paul explaining to us what happens in that moment of belief. And so here's, here's literally the explanation of when you become a believer. Verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. So the law only has the power to tell us if we're broken. And here's what I will tell you. We're all broken, okay? You, you may be living a perfect life, but all you have to do is get in your car and get out on Highway 98, and guess what? You are broken, amen? Um, the thoughts that you have for other people, immediately you find out that they don't line up with Scripture. And so all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he says, for the, through the law, I have died to the law. So I am sinful, I am broken, um, and, and I understand that. So so that I might live to God, I have been crucified with Christ. So now I take myself and I substitute Christ's life for my life. So I yield my life and I take Christ's righteousness or I take the life of Christ. That's that substitution. It's the gift of Christ that was given to us. Verse 20, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so I have exchange my life for the life of Christ. Think about baptism. When you go under the water, the old passes away and, and all things are made new. I've exchanged my old life and now the life that lives inside of me is, is the life of Christ. But it's so important for you to hear this. By faith, I live going forward. Now, why does he have to say that? Because it was so easy to say, okay, now we believe in Jesus. Now we got to go get everything right. No, 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 no. Well, how are we justified? Faith in Jesus. 
not by the works. And so it's by faith that now we take this life, this old self, and we work through transformation, getting rid of Scott so that when you look at Scott, you don't see me, you see who? Jesus, that's, that's the transformation piece. That's the piece that changes inside of our hearts and our lives. But make no mistake, it's not the process of transformation that saves us. Everybody hear me? It's what that saves us? Faith. It's faith in Jesus that saves us, not the process of transformation. So if you're here today and you're struggling because you've made mistakes, it's okay. If you have to get it right and I have to get it right, guess what? We are wrong. We're going to be in bad trouble. So let's go and try to make sense of all of this, okay? So if we were to say, Scott, what does this mean? Um, and, and this, it's so funny. I, I, was, I was telling someone earlier that in the, I did so good in the first service and in the second service, I could not land the plane. Um, it was like those guys trying to land on an aircraft carrier. I just kept buzzing that thing. So I'm going to try and, and, and talk about this succinctly so that you can hold on to this because I believe these truths are, are foundational to who we are. And here's the first thing. Let's look at verse 16. He says, yet we know that a person is justified. That word justified means this, to be found righteous or to be deemed righteous. He says, a person is justified not by the works of the law, not by the works of the law. So let me ask you a question. If you observe all of the festivals of the Jewish calendar, are you justified? Okay, and the, by the way, the answer to all of these is no. I'm just gonna go ahead and give you the answers right up front. If you give a million dollars to the church, are you justified? If you love your neighbor, are you justified? If you're a nice guy, if you're baptized, if you take communion, do any of those things justify you? Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. None of those things in and of themselves justify you. Listen, here it is. We know that the person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, period. Through faith in Jesus Christ, period. Now, let's talk about what faith means, because you might be like, Scott, what does that mean? Can I go faith something? No, no, no. Faith is a, is a belief. Now, here's the difference between a mental ascent or a spiritual ascent. There are many people, historically, you cannot deny the fact that Jesus lived and walked on this earth and that this Bible chronicles his life. And so you could, as a human being, have the mental ascent to know that there was a person that was born Jesus, lived this life, scripture was written about him, and he died, and there's some scripture that talks about his resurrection, and you could write that historical account and you could have an intellectual ascent of Jesus. That is different than believing that what is written about in these scriptures was enacted by the heart of God because God looked upon this broken world and knew that there was no way that we could ever be redeemed or brought back into connection with God. And so he had to send someone to live a perfect life that that life could be substituted for our lives so we could be back in relationship with him. That's faith. When you choose to believe that God moved and offered that gift to you and you receive that gift into your life, that is the gift of faith. There's a mental ascent, understanding that there was a Jesus that lived, and there's a spiritual ascent, understanding the process by which Jesus does that and then receiving that into your life. Here, here's, a, here's another way to say it. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus is, is meeting with Jesus. Now, you've all heard John chapter 3, verse 16. That's where Jesus kind of puts it all together. But Nicodemus is this religious leader. 
And he's got questions. He hears about this Jesus. He sees this great movement that's unfolding. And so he goes and he finds Jesus and he's talking to him. And, and Jesus says to him, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus, being a brilliant man, looks and goes, how can you be born again? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And Jesus goes on to talk about what, that faith that for God so loved the world. That, um, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Nicodemus couldn't figure this out. In order to be a believer, you have to be born into this faith. And you are born into this faith when you yield your life and you take the life of Christ and you allow Christ to be born inside of you. You yield that brokenness and give your life away. Does that kind of make sense to people? Yes, no, maybe. Okay, good. We're going to keep moving on. So that's that understanding of being born. You cannot build your way to righteousness. It doesn't work that way. And so then you get down into verses 19 and 20, and, um, and we've already kind of talked about this. This is that awareness of what I just said. It's allowing our life to be gone and allowing Christ to live inside of us and working through that transformation process. Um, faith in the Son of God, and, and we've already talked about that. So, so here's, here's the main point and, and the thing that I would most love for you to hear today. Well, why, why is this important? I'm convinced that we have made faith so hard We've made it hard on ourselves, and we've made it hard on others. We have convinced ourselves that the gift that God gave us in the Son and His Son, Jesus Christ, that it can't be that simple. We got it wrong then, and we get it wrong now. That we somehow convince ourselves that it can't just be that I believe that this gift that God gave me I can receive in my life. We feel like we've got to go do something and earn it. And what I want you to hear me say is that as you sit here today, you can change the literal standing of your life by truly choosing to believe in Jesus and allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your life and yielding your life. And, and it's in that belief, not piling up works, that you can be justified. It's in that belief and in that heart that, that you can be justified. Think about the thief that's on the cross. Do you remember the thief that's on the cross? And what does Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. That thief did not have a chance to get down off of that cross and to go be baptized and then to do a bunch of good things. Jesus says, uh-uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's something that happens. There's this ability that God has given us in our hearts to where we can yield ourselves and we can receive the free gift that God has given us and change our standing today. It's that simple. And so what I would say is quit making it harder than that. Amen? You can believe in Jesus today and in God's eyes, you can be justified and you can be righteous. And that, I think, is, is the heart today the, the by which I'd like to, to land the plane. And so I invite you, if you will, to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. I thank you for each and every person that's here today, God. And, and there, there's no question, we struggle. It's so hard for us to receive a gift. We want to do something about it. But God, you've given us the greatest gift that ever, ever graced this planet in the gift of your son, Jesus. And I pray that for just a moment inside of our heart of hearts, that we would just be willing to receive. And people that are in here or online that have, been, that have spent their entire lives beating themselves up, feeling like they weren't enough, God, allow us to understand that the truth is we're not, but you were. Your son Jesus was. And because you offered that gift to us today, we can receive it into our hearts. And God, we do exactly that. We love you. We trust you. Be our Lord, be our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And as we play this final song, I just, just ask that maybe you'll allow these words to speak to your heart. If today you've asked Christ into your heart for the very first time, I'd love to talk to you. 
um, just to help orient and give you some things that may help you in this journey along the way. But Pastor Addie's down front, and I'll be over here on this side, and we'd love to pray with you this morning. But let these words speak to your heart. I can see the waters raging on my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us. Lives in us. Oh, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same lives in us, lives in us. We have hope that His promises are true. In His strength, there is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know that there are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome sing this together, the same power. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. Oh, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can call the lives in us, lives in us, oh, he lives in us, lives in us. Achieve on our own, uh, but it's through his love and his are those type of people to this community, that through our faith, we live out uh, Jesus to this world. If you're new here, if this is your first Sunday with us, it's my hope that you have seen hospitality, you've seen love, you've experienced this type of faith that we're talking about. If you are new, we'd love to connect with you right after the service in the Next Steps room. Come meet us, we'd love to meet you. But before we leave, let's pray together. Father God, we are so incredibly blessed. We are so thankful that you would see something in us and pay the price to have a relationship with us. God, despite our best efforts, God, despite our failures, God, despite all of it, you have paid a price so that we could know you. Thank you. And the thanks doesn't even seem big enough, but, but that's what we have and that's what we're going to lean into. God, give us the faith uh, that would be able to move mountains 
And if we're not there yet, God, give us uh, the church and the people around us to be able to move in that direction so that we find ourselves living out our faith in this world around us. We thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you all. Have a great week.